You're listening to the Namely Marley podcast, episode number 44. Hey everyone, I'm Marley, your host of the Namely Marley podcast. The goal of this podcast is to focus on adding a little creative, healthy, and passion-filled living to your day every day. I am so happy to tell you that today's episode is sponsored by Uncommon Goods. This is a privately owned retailer that features unique jewelry, designer decor, tabletop items, and handcrafted gifts created in harmony with the environment and without harm to animals or people. I just love this. I I love supporting artists that follow their passion. I love supporting products and services that I know that are, are made in a way that's good for people and for animals. And so I just feel like this is a good fit all the way around. You'll find some really unique, well-designed products and even kitchen goods like honey or maple syrup there. I'm leaving some links in the show notes page to some of my favorite shopping categories at Uncommon Goods. So uh, be sure to go to namelymarley.com forward slash podcast to check that out. Okay, let's talk about today's show. Today I'm talking with Dr. Julia Nordgren. She's both a pediatrician and a professionally trained chef. I met her last year at the International Association of Culinary Professionals Conference, and I really enjoyed talking with her. First of all, they had several people on the main stage that were talking about healthy eating and and the ways that, you know, we can impact the world and and people's health through diet. And so it was very interesting that uh, Dr. Nordgren and I I had kind of a side conversation about a topic that's very much a passion of hers, which is uh, childhood obesity. Look, we all know the statistics. The percentage of kids with obesity has more than tripled since the 1970s. Today, around one in five kids is obese. So you may ask, well, why does that matter? Because children who are obese have higher risks for other chronic diseases like asthma, type 2 diabetes, and even heart disease. That's right. We're talking about the issue of heart disease in children. In addition, there are other things that need to be considered too, like children who are obese are teased more and they're you know, the subject of bullies more often, we know these things to be true, that can lead those children to experience social isolation, which can also lead to issues like depression. So there's a lot of issues that need to be dealt with, or there's a lot of things that, you know, we have to think about when children are facing obesity. But then the other thing is that they have a higher propensity to deal with obesity as adults as well. So it's kind of like setting the stage for them to have to deal with this their entire lives. I think it's such an important topic and it's one that can be so difficult for parents because if you have a child that has a weight problem, what can you do? How do you create a dialogue about eating um, that doesn't create any kind of like unhealthy attitudes about food and diet? Uh, because it's very easy for that to happen. And as I mentioned in the interview, I was that kid. I was the chubby kid as a child. <laughs> All my siblings were those naturally skinny, at least as kids, they were naturally skinny. Um, but as a child, I was the chubby one. And I was the topic of conversation. Uh, you know, adults around me would be 
talking about my weight <laughs> as if I wasn't even there. I don't know. It was kind of bizarre. Um, so I have experienced that and I've experienced the topic of weight and felt the pressure of that my you know entire life. So I was very intrigued to talk to Julia about this topic and, and try to help parents that are dealing with that and what kind of things that they can do. Because I've, I've seen situations where, you know, a parent has a child that has a weight issue and how they've dealt with it. I know it can be really, really troubling. Um, I was with one family where all the kids were normal size and one child had a weight problem. And he said he refused to change the foods that were around to accommodate that one child. And, you know, you can look at the pros and cons of that, right? I mean, if it's a tempting food and you want to not maybe have that around, uh, I don't know. Like I say, these are really difficult situations. So I was happy to have uh, Julia on the show to talk about this. Now, I want to clarify. Dr. Norgren, she is not vegan or vegetarian. And so she talks about some of the meals that she uh, recommends to her patients or uh, prepares for her own children. But look, only 3% of the United States is vegetarian. I know that may be hard to grasp because I mean, anecdotally, it just seems like we see vegetarian or vegan uh, diets talked about a lot, or we may know a lot of people who do that themselves. But according to the data, only 3% of people are vegetarians. And I choose not to live my life in a bubble. I feel like, obviously, it would be a very tight bubble if we only talked with other vegetarians or vegans. I think it's good to uh, look outside of that world and take advice and get information um, from all of us. And besides, I feel like there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast or come to my site that are looking to enhance their current diet with a vegetarian or vegan options. And I am all for that. I, I love uh, anytime people can add more vegetables and fruits to their diets and feel happy about that. It's great. In fact, I was on Twitter the other day and I, I saw somebody recommend, what did they call that? I'm going to try to think of it. It was called a, what was that? I'm probably not going to get this right, but it was um, a reducitarian. <laughs> it's called the reducitarian solution. I'll leave a link in the show notes page. Um, um, it was Dr. Steven Pinker who uh, left this tweet. And uh, his point was, if you go from two to one burgers a day, that saves as many cows and, and it has as big an impact on the environment and your health as going from one to zero. I thought that was actually fairly profound. And so, uh, you know, like I say, there's all kinds of approaches to increasing vegetables and, um, you know, reducing meat in your diet. And I think that uh, being open to talking to other people outside of your own circle is a great way of going about that and making sure that we all stay connected with one another anyway. I'm so happy to have Julia on the show. I really think she has got some great perspectives about, you know, she's a pediatrician. She deals with children all the time and their families, obviously. And so she's got some really great perspectives on on how families can go about talking about the issue of healthy diets and, and how to help families try to be more active. And, you know, a lot of these things are just kind of common sense things, but but I think it's easy to go in our day-to-day lives and not realize the things that we're actually doing. And it helps to have somebody from, you know, sometimes outside of your own life that takes a look and says, oh, you know, you're stopping by Starbucks a lot. And, you know, what, what? how many calories, how much sugar is actually in the drink that you're choosing? And what are some ways that you can get that coffee fix in in a way that's a little bit more healthy for you? So um, those are just some topics that we talk about. I think you're going to find it really interesting. I really hope that you find some good... Uh, useful advice that will help you through any issues that you may be dealing with personally, or if you've got a family situation like we talk about on the show. 
So let's get straight to it. Here's today's feature interview with Dr. Julia Nordgren. Hey, everyone. I'm happy to have Dr. Julia Nordgren. She's a physician and blogger with the site Dr. Julia Cooks. She's with me today. Julia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Well, I am really looking forward to talking with you. It's such an important topic that that you speak on, which is really about kids and healthy eating. But I was wondering if you could take a couple of minutes to tell everybody about your background, you know, particularly like, you know, this dual passion that you have for both (laughs) medicine and and cooking. Yes. Well, I love to feel like I have a foot firmly planted in both the medical world and the culinary world. So I'm a pediatrician by training. I, um, I trained at Dartmouth Medical School, and I was seeing patients for quite some time as a general pediatrician, and I think as many of us noticed, so many of the kids that we were seeing have trouble with their eating, whether it's their weight or their cholesterol. Um, We're in the midst of an obesity epidemic, and I really felt like this needed some more attention. So I started focusing my efforts in that exact area. And I joined a great place called the Cholesterol Treatment Center, where we were seeing kids from all over the East Coast for help with their elevated cholesterol and their weight. Somewhere in this time, um, it became clear to me (laughs) that I actually didn't know as much as I wanted to about food. And so I had the opportunity to take a break from my practice. And I actually um, enrolled in culinary school. And it was a lifelong dream of mine. I'd always wanted to learn to cook. And it was really the perfect timing. Um, I went out to the Culinary Institute of America in Napa. Mm. And it was just a fabulous experience, really delving into ingredients, eating fresh food, learning how to use herbs and spices. And now in my practice, what's great is I feel like I can really help parents in two ways. And Mm. number one is really helping them understand their child's health. So is the cholesterol they they have elevated, is that because of diet or genetics or something like that? Um, And then how do we make it better? And not just eat more fruits and vegetables, but hey, what's what's in season right now? Oh, it's asparagus. Have you tried roasting asparagus? So I can really get to the nitty gritty of the actual problem solving, which is what are families putting on their table for their children? You know, it's such a unique perspective because I think, you know, a parents can bring their kids into the doctor and the doctor might say some things like, you know, we'd like to see them eating healthier, but then that's it. You know, how do you, how do you translate? I mean, it's just such a difficult topic and I'm really looking forward to talking with you about that today. Yeah, it's really difficult. I mean, on the one hand, when you're a general pediatrician, um, pediatricians are so pressured to see a high volume of patients. So you're in and out, and the more patients you see, the better. That's not according to the physicians, but that's according to the insurance companies or the, you know, our (laughs) medical practice. Yes, exactly, (laughs) making money. Um, But, you know, I think a lot of us feel like that's not sufficient. And certainly when you have a checkup, it's almost impossible to get to all the topics that you need to get to. Um, in addition to vaccines and safety and, I mean, just the whole myriad of things going on for every family. So I love having extra time to do that. And and I agree with exactly what you said. General pediatricians and, and most physicians, you know, we didn't have a lot of nutrition education in medical school. And a lot of it, Marley, is biochemical. You know, how is vitamin D hydroxylated in the kidney? And that's not relevant, What's relevant to families is 
all right, what kind of milk should I be buying? The, the questions really are, what do I buy at the right. store? How do I make that? And so for me, that's really the joy of being able to be in both worlds is I can recommend a healthy breakfast and I don't have to just say healthy breakfast. I'll say, what do you like to buy? Do you buy cereals? Have you ever tried steel cut oats? This is what I do. And let me see if this will be something helpful for you and your family. Is that one of the reasons that you started your blog? Oh, yeah. I mean, just, I, you know, I find that there's, I, oh, the other thing is, is I'm a mom. So I have a 10-year-old oh. and a 12-year-old boy. So I'm doing what all of my patients are doing. And I really feel like we're all in this together. We're all just, <laughs> we're all in a rut. We're all busy. We're all trying to save money. It's a challenge. And the thing about feeding your family healthfully is it's a challenge every single day for every yeah. single family. Some days are better than others. And I think we're all really looking for good resources. Yeah, it's a struggle with kids because, you know, you you may live in this perfect vacuum. You may have all the healthy foods at home, but then they go to school and, and maybe the teacher brings in candy or maybe, you know, there's after school activities or other things that are spending the night with friends and they're just exposed to lots of junk. <laughs> It's so true. I mean, it, it's almost like you step out of your house into a, a junk-filled, sugar-laden world. It's, yeah. it's scary. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, and you can't, we can only control that to some degree. Yeah. And I think, you know, of course, in my heart, I wish that weren't the case. I wish that the schools did, uh, were yeah. able to really feed these kids healthy lunches every day, great snacks, health-supporting, delicious things. But it's not our reality. Right. And right now you have to, so part of my job is helping parents navigate that. And we all experience that. Oh, they go to movie night at school and they get pizza and juice boxes and Rice Krispie treats. Uh, and, oh, and cotton candy. <laughs> you know, like, oh, okay. it off. Right? Like, oh my God. But that's the, re yeah, that's reality. And, you know, I hear about these stories too of, of kids that like you know their their mom only fed them sprouts and avocados or whatever and then and yeah. then like they get to be an adult and all they want to do is just and they go crazy either I know it's so hard because yes. you, you know again you want to be you want to enjoy food right you want to enjoy the right foods and I think that's sort of what I always get back to you know as a pediatrician and as a mom these kids are on my watch and I want them to grow up to be healthy and strong and to do everything they want to do and to enjoy food, to have yeah. a meal with the people that they care about. It's important to me that they learn how to cook. Yes. I, need, I want them to be able to, you know, I always say to them, if you can't make a roasted chicken <laughs> and a perfectly dressed salad for your, a, a, a woman or a man you want to impress, I, I haven't done my job as your mother. <laughs> like I failed you. That's, and that's one of, of your course, goals as a parent. <laughs> it is. It is yeah. because I think it's life skills. So yeah, I teach a class to um, Stanford medical students. And, and just like myself, when I was in medical school, I had no idea how to cook. I had no idea if I were to recommend a healthy diet to a patient, what that really looks like and what the effort is involved in, let alone how I could help them make that easier or make that really fit into their busy life. So I say to my students, all right, you're never going to be more poor or have less time. Yes. <laughs> so figure it out now. So let, we, our job as the physician chef instructors is to give them the skills to eat healthfully for themselves 
and to also learn how to pass that on to their patients. You know, it's like that old flight instruction thing. Like, you know, yes. you've got to put your own mask oxygen. on first before you can give it to others. Yeah. <laughs> I talk about that all the time. It's the oxygen mask. Put it on first and yeah. then help others. You know, I don't know if I told you this. We, You and I met at the International Association yes. of Culinary Professionals. Yeah, that was great seeing you there. Um, but I don't know if I told you, but I used to work for the American Academy of Family Physicians here. It's here in Kansas City. Oh, no, I didn't remember that. Yeah, well, so they sent me out to do some research for uh, family doctors. And, and basically, it was kind of what you're talking about, where we were studying the body composition of family doctors to see if they were, you know, where they fit in accordance with, you know, the population in general, and they weren't any better. So <laughs> I do think there's some room for improvement, for sure. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I also think it's, it's, just as important. I mean, I give away so many more recipes than I do prescriptions. Ah. And we're not going to we're not going to get this population healthier with right. medicines. Right. And Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, I think we've all heard a lot of stories yeah. about the health of our current, you know, kids in the country and it's not always good news. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. You know, and of course this is my world. I see this every day, but you know the 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 weight issues and the obesity epidemic, this is very real. Mm. And it's real in that when, you know, what you said about this world and you let these kids out into the world, we're, I see so many kids getting into trouble in school age years. So they go into kindergarten, they go into first grade. They're just eating way more than they need without really notice, knowing. And it, it's not up to the kids to pick their lunches or their snacks. So they're eating all, so many empty carbohydrates, so mm. much extra added sugar, and really with no fault of the school. You know, if you think about a typical snack, goldfish and juice, that's considered sort of standard toddler fare or standard <laughs> after-school snacks. Yeah. And there's really nothing of nutritional value for the children in that, that kind of a snack. Yeah. Oh, but it tastes so good, right? But it's delicious, right? But, and you yeah. can eat that forever. So a couple things will happen with those kinds of snacks is that you'll end up just eating more energy than you need, and it's digested and absorbed so quickly, and then it leaves you hungry again um, in an hour or 90 minutes. Whereas if you had, for example, an apple and a cheese stick or um, whole grain crackers with peanut butter and a glass of milk – you're going to stay fuller for longer and you're not going to have that same sugar high and sugar low. Um, and then your mood will be more stable. And, you know, sometimes think about, yeah. you know, preschool, preschool snacks, the real benefit of feeding a healthy, nutritious protein fiber snack is that the kids aren't melting down when the parents pick them up after a long day of work at five, five thirty, Cause they're hungry. They're starving. Right, because those carbs, those empty carbs just leave you, I feel like they leave me feeling really hungry. They do. And it's, yeah. it's very, we, we understand the physiology of that. I mean, we, that's been studied very carefully. So we really understand as scientists, all those sugars, all those simple starches become immediately available as sugars when it's digested in, by the amylase in your mouth. Your blood sugar rises. Yep. Your insulin gets secreted. Your blood sugar falls your insulin is there, needing more sugar. So really very predictably, you know, 90 minutes after a refined carbohydrate snack, your hormones will, your hunger hormones will kick in. So that's whether 
that manifests as getting a headache, feeling a little nauseous, feeling a little, you know, sweaty or itchy. You know, and if you take that similar example and you go down to breakfast, so these kids have, you know, Fruit Loops, Lucky Charms for breakfast, oh. 10 o'clock, they're starving, yes. literally. And they, their bodies feel very hungry. And so I, I can't imagine it's easy to pay attention to a class at that time. Yeah, they're thinking about where are they going to get their next yeah. snack. Well, and this is why I talked to the medical students at that time they're, if they're on a rotation, they're in a surgery, they're learning about bile duct anatomy. <laughs> you know, they can't yes. be like, uh, excuse me, can I go get another scone from Starbucks? Cause I'm really hungry. <laughs> yep. That doesn't so work. As, yes. As learners. And that's part of their job. And I really try to impress upon the students that that's their job. They're paying good money. They have this phenomenal opportunity to learn medicine and science and have this view into the human body. It's such a privilege. Well, I think that's a great point. Uh, I also was just going to um, add to your your previous point, and that is, um, doesn't it just feed the cycle? So let's say if you're that medical student and and you did eat this hard high carb breakfast, but you carried a snack with you, so then like I think what you're saying is like your blood sugar uh, drops. Um, and then like an hour and a half, you're hungry again, mm -hmm. and then you eat again. Doesn't it like keep this cycle going? Sure, if you're eating those same kinds of foods, of yes. course. Yeah. Yes. And so that's why, you know, in my practice and in my life, I talk not about amounts, but what are the types of food? What are the, what are the things that you're feeding your body? What are the nutrients? Is there protein? Is there fiber? What's in it for you? Have you heard of Tim Ferriss? No. He's a podcaster and... Um, a, a, he's written several books. And so I've been reading uh, his book It's called the four hour body. And he's been, he was talking in there that about, you know, basically blood sugar and how that can be mm. kind of a culprit for people. And, sure. and you know, the idea of eating higher protein and less carbs. And he, he actually said that maybe there could be a connection between the number of kids that are obese and the reaction that they have to blood. Like maybe some people have a higher reaction, uh, a lower, a higher blood sugar response to foods. Oh, certainly. And certainly, these are the, many of the kids that I see in my clinic. Um, and it really depends on how effective your insulin works. Mm. So if your insulin works well, you don't need a lot of it to keep your blood sugar stable. Um, and that's great. And that's what we want. And that's what I and my practice try to preserve with these kids. Not only do I want their cholesterol to be, be normal and metabolically, that's all very closely tied into their insulin secretion. So kids who become overweight, that weight isn't in my view, at all a cosmetic issue, it's that, that th those cells, that tissue secretes chemicals that make your insulin not work very well. They affect how you metabolize cholesterol. So that becomes a very vicious cycle. So then their insulin doesn't work as well. Their pancreas has to make more and more and more. So their insulin level actually rises Insulin is a growth hormone. It makes you hungry. It shifts your metabolism to a storage mode. So these kids gain, are hungrier. They gain more weight. And the cycle continues. And the parents could have two kids and they could be saying, I'm feeding them both the same, but one of them's getting heavy. Exactly. Exactly. Because once that cascade really starts, um, those kids will eat, generally feel hungrier and eat more. Um, oh, yeah. And every kid I see who has a, a weight abnormality, they almost always have 
a sibling at home who doesn't. And so the parent comes to me and says, I I don't know what to do. And this is a very real problem. It's a very common problem. Then it becomes how, what language do they use? How do they talk about food at the table that's not harmful? Right. That's another thing that's really important to me is how do we just make eating joyous? And even though I'm really in the world of, of what foods do you make and how do you prepare them? It really is. How do you give them to your children? And how is it presented? Are you non-judgmental? Are you just, you know, hey, this yes. is what I made for you. This is what I know you like. Is the table a happy place and a place of comfort and a stress-free place? Because in my mind, as we're raising kids, we want them to enjoy delicious food. Not too much. We want them educated about what's balanced. And we want them to be able to socialize around food, not feel controlled by food, not feel a prisoner, but capable and able to make choices. So when you're at the, you know, the movie night or, or maybe one Rice Krispie treat and pizza and a juice, maybe that's good. Maybe I can skip on the <laughs> second piece. Yeah. Or maybe that's just a wash. Maybe that's just a night you don't worry about. Right. We all need those nights. We all need nights and our kids need nights that they're not being supervised or they're not being. And they know that it's okay that your body can exactly. handle a day where you're eating more and you just get exactly. back on track tomorrow. Right? Exactly. Well, I, I love this question. And I the reason I, I thought about it is because I feel like there's really kind of two perspectives here. There are um, the kids that are more reactive to, you know, blood sugars and they're, mm-hmm. or, or, you know, o- dealing with obesity. And then I feel like I, I put myself in that category, by the way, I had, I have, there's four of us in my family and all three of my siblings as children had no problems with their weight, except for me. I was oh, the one that <laughs> always it. had to deal with that. <laughs> yes. And so I feel That's like a hard spot to be I in. I know. I know. I'm sure you can remember, um, things that people said to you. Oh, every all detail. The- Yes. It's amazing. Yes. It's remarkable to me um, how people, those things are become ingrained. Yes. And it's funny, I actually was just talking this morning uh, with a friend. I had a dad who, with, perhaps, I'm, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I think that with best intent, he would say to his overweight daughter, you shouldn't eat that. Give that to your sister. <sighs> and my heart just broke. Yes. He's like, that girl is going to go to college and she is never going to come home for dinner because she was made to feel oh. not trusted. She was made to feel badly yes. at the dinner table. So that to me is a, such a core issue that I don't know if enough people are talking about. And of course, I want her weight to become healthy for her, whatever that means, whatever. I don't care what number that is. Right. I care that she feels good about her body. I also care that she doesn't feel like crap when she eats with her family. I mean, that's her dad. Yeah. These are the people that are supposed to love her beyond beyond no matter what and fend off all the jerk offs in the world who are going to make <laughs> her feel bad. Yes. It is not his job to make her feel bad at the family dinner table. Yeah. The world is hard enough. It is. It's that's so my true. soapbox. Right. So I'm, yeah. but I'm sure you could tell me very similar stories. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, and just knowing that my weight was a topic of discussion at Mm. times amongst the adults, right when I was there in the room, like, you know, come on. Yeah. (laughs) But you know, I just feel like now as an adult, it's, it's carries with me. So it's like, I mean, I, I'm not, I mean, I always feel like I'm jealous. If people ask me if I could have a superpower, what would it be? And I would be like, I could, my superpower would be, I want to be able to eat everything and still look great in a bikini. Mm. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Well, but, and know. my my superpower would be helping people feel like that's the case. And maybe it's not eat everything and look great in a bikini, but it's eat what they want, eat what they love, and feel yes. great about their body when they're in a bathing suit. Yes. That's good. That's a good superpower. I like that one. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I want for these kids. They're going out into the world. They have to eat every day. Yes. So you want to teach them those skills that they can use that yes. with. I want them to feel empowered. I want them to know what's in the food that they're eating. I want them to understand really not just like, oh, it's such a it's such a toxic world out there. But like, let's talk about what that means. Let's say you're going to, I don't know, pick your pick your place. Let's just pick Starbucks. It's on, on my mind. Um, what do you get there? What do you like? Have you looked at the sugar content of that? Most people have no idea. Actually, it was great. I was ta- having this conversation with a child. Um, you know, he was like 11. And so we were talking about, because a lot of these middle schoolers are going to coffee shops and buying these yeah. uh, very sweet drinks. And and they'll think they're doing themselves a favor if they get, you know, um, if they get a, a smoothie or a fruit-based something. Uh-huh. Um, and then when you really drill down and look at the nutrition information, they're amazed. Like, oh my God, I had no idea. This one girl after karate would always go get a Jamba Juice. She had no idea it had 53 grams of sugar. 53 grams. Wow. In a small Jamba Juice. Wow. She had no idea. And so the parents are like, we're doing every, what, what is happening here? We feel like we're doing everything right. And so of course, Jamba Juice makes you think that it's all fruit and all healthy. So why would you really stop to think that. And, and I certainly don't want her moving through the world, analyzing every choice, but I want her to really learn like, oh, okay, these kind of blended drinks, they're full of sugar. I'm better off having, you know, having water that's infused with watermelon and mint and eating an orange or eating a banana. Yes. Because the, can you explain the difference between the sugars yes. that you find in fruit yeah. versus the sugar that you find in a Jamba juice? Sure. Well, so, and this really applies for a lot of blended drinks or anything you're drinking. So, um, well, most of the commercially prepared smoothies um, and fruit-based drinks are really made out of uh, corn syrup. So they're made out of sugar syrups and you can get a higher concentration. And then if you were to make the same thing and add sugar into your glass, I mean, it seems crazy to have a, a smoothie that has 80 grams of sugar. Four grams, four grams is one teaspoon. So you're like, wait a second, I put 20 teaspoons of sugar, they would never dissolve. (laughs) Unless I heated it up first. (laughs) Um, But these, but the corn syrups and the syrups that has the same effect. So they're using a lot of different simple syrups. And um, so that's one thing about the juice drinks. The other thing is when you take a fruit and you blend it, you're really pre- you're shredding all the, you're really taking the fibrous component out of it and you're leaving the fructose, which is just the sugar component. So the digestion becomes much faster right? than if you were to eat an apple. So the best thing to do is just eat an apple and have water or milk yeah, rather than taking three apples and blending them up with a banana and a smoothie. You don't need all of that fructose that's in those three or four fruits that you need to spin down to make a smoothie, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think um, there's those hidden sugars in so many foods. I, I have, since, since I've been kind of paying attention to carbs the last few mm-hmm. weeks, I've mm-hmm. just been surprised to look and see the carb content of different, I mean, 
you know, like even yeah. oatmeal has a lot of carbs in it, but I guess it's com- I it's got great fiber too. Well, that will totally depend too. If you're eating, I had a parent tell me that their daughter was eating oatmeal for breakfast. Uh-huh. And when I finally drilled down and asked exactly what kind, she said, oh, oh, it's the dino egg kind. I was like, huh, what? <laughs> dino egg. So Quaker oh. makes... Yes. An instant oatmeal that has these like little, I mean, I had to buy it to look at it to really see. I just blew my mind. <laughs> but they're really like, and one of the ingredients says dinosaur egg shaped pieces. Is that yes. an ingredient? So of course, then when you really, really drill down, like that's, it's sugar and it's palm oil. Oh, so no. this girl actually had very high cholesterol, as did her father who had a heart attack. So we're looking at ways for her to cut down her saturated fat content of her diet. The family had no idea, as why would they, that the oatmeal actually contains saturated fat in the dino eggs that's filled with hydrogenated palm oil. (sighs) That's one of the worst kinds of fats to eat, right? So So they didn't know. So that's why I just give that example about oatmeal because of course the instant oatmeal is very pulverized and very processed. You have very little of that fiber content remaining. You've lost most of that whole grain. So the best of course is the wholest form, which takes the longest to cook, but you just kind of cook it when, I don't know, I cook my oatmeal when I'm doing the dishes. (laughs) Yes. You're talking about like steel cut oats? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Steel cut oats. But even the old-fashioned rolled oats, you can just yeah. um, soak, you know, put them in the refrigerator overnight, and you wake up the next morning and they're ready. They're done. I know. Isn't that exciting? A lot of people do that. I love that stuff. It's really, it's a, I don't know, it's like an easy way of um, getting your breakfast ready early. You know, like you just do it. Oh, the night I before. know. And actually, I have a mom of a little girl with high cholesterol. She's amazing. She puts them all in little cups and gets them ready for the whole week. And so she'll get that, she'll start it the night before so that when she, if she and her daughter are running late, they can grab and go or they can sit and eat at home. So they're set up for success by just thinking ahead a little bit. See, those little tips are really helpful. Oh yeah. She's amazing. We're going to write a book together. Oh, cool. That's a great (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) What about activity? Does that play a role in, in our health as well? Well, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. I actually was just at a great conference, um, uh, the Harvard Active Lives Conference, and they have a pediatric part of that now. And so we do some culinary medicine where we do recipes and talk about food and eating. But but the activity component is, um, gosh, it's so important. And again, this gets back to me that I don't care at all what kids do for a sport, for an activity, but I want them to enjoy moving their bodies. Mm. It's such an important part of our culture. So whether it's hiking up to see a beautiful view, whether it's loving the feeling of skiing down a steep hill, whether it's mountain biking up a, a you know crazy path through the woods that's really fun and technical. And there's so many different ways to enjoy moving your body. And I also really wholeheartedly believe that that helps family relationships. Yes. To just be together, be outside, has to be fun boogie boarding, swimming. I don't care what it is. I don't want, not everybody has to go play soccer. Um, but everybody needs to move. Yes. The alternative is sitting. As we all know now, <laughs> just the amount that you sit is related to your risk of heart disease. So <sighs> that's terrible. Yeah. Ooh, it is. <laughs> they yes. have this great study where they put like sensors and people's chairs, <laughs> like the more you sat in the chair. 
Oh, no. But it's great. But that led to a lot of people having standing desks, people moving around during meetings. You know, it's, that's helped change the corporate culture. Which oh, I that's think good is, to know then. Yes, yes, exactly. I changed my husband's life completely. I love that. Although it's just so hard because it feels like everything we do lends us to sitting. So it's like you have to really make a conscious effort. Yeah. Yeah. But once it becomes part again, like it, I think those are things like food choices, make a conscious effort for a bit of time. And then it really becomes much more second nature. Ah, it's like a muscle memory at that point. Oh, totally, totally. So I was just going to say, like, wh- what are some like of your favorite tips that you give to parents on, you know, either healthy eating or activity um, to help their kids that maybe if they have a child that's overweight, and they're trying to help them? Yeah, I mean, I think the first, I mean, the first most important thing is most of the kids I see the the things that they could really are going to improve their health is swapping out some of the foods that are very not nutritious, but high in calories mm-hmm. for ones that are nutritious and low in calories. And so for that means instead of chips, have some carrot sticks instead of a bar, uh, you know, these kids are eating a lot of these Z bars. So yeah. instead of that, have an apple and a cheese stick. So really trying to move away from the packaged foods into more whole foods. I love and, your idea of too about the, instead of having a soda, maybe have these um, flavored carbonated oh, waters. waters. Those are great. Yes. And you can get these great, um, yes. you can get these great infusers where you can yeah. put your own fruit in the middle and you can have your own water. Nice. My kids love like picking my, the mint in our garden and yeah. the lemon verbenum and just popping them in a cup of ice water. It's delicious. It's so good. Yes. And the other thing is with dinners, like you just have to look at every plate and be, and say, Where's the fruit and vegetable? Mm. What's happening for fruit and vegetable? So whether you're having pizza, pasta, roasted chicken, uh, steak, where's the fruit and vegetable? Is it peppers and onions mixed in in a stir fry? That's what we had last night. Um, is it slices of raw carrot? Is it a salad? It doesn't have to be fancy. But if you look in that plate and there's no fruit or vegetable, see what you got. Do you have any broccoli lying around? Do you have any... Um, orange to cut up. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as like, I cut up a yellow pepper and I made some orange slices. I had time to cook one thing tonight because I'm home from work late. Everybody's starving. (sighs) Fine. It's fine. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be roasted asparagus with a mustard vinaigrette. It is sometimes. That's actually very good. (laughs) But (laughs) but it's not reality. And, And so don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah. Just look at that plate, get some fruit and vegetables on it. What about the folks that have the super picky eaters? I mean, I, I know that there are times that kids just like, like they don't like something like broccoli, but yeah, kind of keep being an example for them or how do you do that? Well, there's a lot of stuff about, I could talk about picky eating all day. Um, so I think the first thing to remember is picky eaters really aren't born. They're created. So we have to really figure out and, and that's not to say that kids don't have variations in their palates. Mostly in every family, there's one kid who is game for anything, interested in trying lots of different things, enjoys food, like spicy, like smile, da, da, da. And then there's another child who's like, eh, I just like this. This is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I like. It, it's yeah. almost like clothing choices. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I have one boy who will wear a pink shirt and orange shorts and green plaid socks and I have another child who wears blue yeah he likes blue (laughs) his blue shirt and blue shorts every day it's comfortable for him yes and I think the same principle really applies for eating so the struggle is with the kids who really just 
have a, a smaller set of the things that they like, you just have to give them the fruits and the vegetables that they like every day. I don't care if it's the same thing. And then as a parent, be an example of eating a large variety of fruits yeah. and vegetables. Yeah. yeah, and you can't force it on them. A lot of right. times what I do when I have something that I know the kids will never eat, like a multicolored slaw, like purple cabbage, green cabbage, lime juice, I serve that like if we're having tacos. It'll take them a while to sort of warm up to that. So they'll see us eating it. I'll put it in a glass bowl. I'll be like, no, it's pretty. It's colorful. If you want to try it, you can, but you don't have to. Yeah. So I take a very, um, you know, my approach, I never force the kids to put anything in their mouth that doesn't appeal to them. Right. I don't think that works. Yeah, I agree. I think that I let them choose. If it looks good and it smells good, they can try it and they can decide. If it doesn't look good or if it doesn't smell good to them, um, the, the chances of them liking it are pretty slim. I've, that's my experience. So... I'll, if I think that they'll like it, I'll be like, hey, I made this, like I made green beans and I put a different spice on like, oh, uh, or just take lemon. Oh, I put a little lemon juice on these green beans. Smell it. Do you think you'd like, I think you'd like it. Would, do you think you'd like it? And they can try it or not. So I try to connect something that they, some experience so that they know I've thought about them when I've made something. Oh, and again, nice. yeah, yeah, like, oh, hey, I know you love that. Um, I don't know you loved mint in your drink. This, there's mint in this salad. It's really tastes good. Would you be interested in trying it? Oh, that's really good. And it, to me, it sounds like what you're talking about is the long game. It's like, don't try to yes. make instant changes overnight. It's, it's about a longer process than that. It is. It is. And so I just like every other mother, I have one kid with a great repertoire. He'll eat anything. I have another yeah. one who's like, can I have mashed potatoes for dinner? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> oh my God. This kid, he would eat mashed potatoes. So it's more work for me. But I know the vegetables he'll like. I'll know what he eats. If he, I just need him to finish his vegetables if he wants more carbohydrate. I love this. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today. I have just a couple of fun questions I like to ask people oh, at the yes. interview. Yes. Okay. So what's one food item you can't live without? Oh my God. Can I have three in one group? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Uh, olive oil, salt, pepper, lemons. Oh, oh my God. That's a great combination on anything, isn't it? Anything. I can make, I can be in a deserted island. As long as I have olive oil, salt, pepper, lemons, I can make anything. <laughs> I can make any protein. Meat. I can make fish. I can make, um, pot I mean, I can make anything with that. You know, yeah. salad. Tastes so good with that. Yeah. Okay. I love that answer. Okay. If you could <laughs> listen to only one band or music group the whole rest of your life and that's all you could listen to, what would it be? Oh my God. That is just, oh, it would be fun for a little while, but then it would become torturous, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, I'm in a big John Mayer kick right now. Okay. No, but then he, then it gets depressing. I know. Some of his songs days. are kind of slightly down. Yeah. Is that, is that your I'm answer? Gonna, to nope, nope, nope. You're still nope, thinking. I'm, I'm thinking, of, I don't know. I just have to kick it old school and say you too. Ah, oh, yes. That's a good group. Yeah. I mean, they just, they, they stood the test of time. Yes. They're still, they're still rocking out. You got to love it. Yeah. And their music has a sort of inspiration to it as well. You know, it does. It, like you feel a little lifted. That's yes. So, that's so important. Oh, yeah. 
And I'm, I'm like, even though when they're singing the song, like I still haven't found what I'm looking for, you're still like, you feel inspired okay. by that. You're still looking. Keep looking. Yes. It's fine. It's not like I've given up looking. I'm just <laughs> <Yeah>. still looking. <laughs> well, speaking of inspiration, my last question is what oh, inspires you? Oh, brave women. Mm. Brave women. And, and, you know, it's funny, all my culinary inspirations are all brave women. They all really? are. Yes. Julia Child. Well, first of all, talk about still haven't found what you're looking for. She didn't know what a shallot was until she was 36 years old. Wow. Her love of food and everything she did was created out of pure interest and pure joy and drive and interest and love of what she was doing. Alice Waters, same thing. I mean, she, yes. she was the one driving around in a little broken down Dodge Dart to the fish market, to the rancher, to the farmer who did her eggs because she understood and believed that all of those products had better flavor and would make better dishes. In the 70s, when nobody knew what a locavore was, nobody knew the terms local, farm, fr everything was being done in refrigerator trucks. And she kind of, you know, in her lovely way, she's like, that's not how I'm going to roll. Wow. And she stumbled and she made mistakes and she stuck true to her principles and she created something amazing and she really changed the face of the culinary world and I, we're all in a whether we know it or not we all have a debt of gratitude to, to her absolutely brave women uh I love this uh, time frame that we're in because I just feel like it is the age of the woman, which I think it's probably why there's so much political strife going on, which we don't have to get yes. into. But at the same time, I feel like w women are coming ar coming around, I think. We're here. <laughs> we're here to stay. And we have yes, been for a long we're time, not going anywhere. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Julia, how can people find you online? So there's a couple places. Um, you can find me on my website, drjuliacooks.com. I have a blog. I have some recipes. I have some information about great meetings that are upcoming for professionals. And I have some information for my patients whose kids have high cholesterol or good fats, bad fats, that kind of stuff. And I also just love to, I'm part of the, I just love the food world on Instagram. So same, Dr. Julia Cooks on Instagram and send me your cool pictures of yummy food. And I think, <laughs> we're, you know, we're really all doing this together. We're all trying to yeah. raise our kids. We all want our kids to be happy and healthy. Yeah. And we all... We all need help. I, I myself included. You know, I'm yep. getting a rut sometimes. I'm like, oh crap, what's for dinner? <laughs> no, <laughs> sorry, you kids. have the same thing every week or whatever. Yeah. yeah, but that's okay. And if somebody helps me by, so I'm forever buying cookbooks and always getting new inspiration. I love when people put out there, hey, this is what I had for breakfast. Looks awesome. Um, I we rely on each other. Yes, as women, just as women who are trying to do the best for our children yeah, and I for our it. family's kids, you know, and for our friends' yes. kids. And so the kids who come over, I'm sure my kids would love it if I, you know, were the one running around with chocolate chip cookies, but that, but that's not me. Yeah. I always say in your next life, you can have a mother that gives you lucky charms for breakfast, <laughs> but in this life, you get me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, Julia. That's so great. So thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. You are so welcome. It was really a pleasure. And, and my last thing I'll just say, you, you said activity. I just think like, just go have fun with your kids. Just go play with them. Yes. They're so fun. When we moved to California, we lost our yard and I was so bummed. I was like, gosh, they're not going to play outside while I, while I cook dinner. And, and you know what? Like I play with them now. We go to the park and we have the best time. And it's so meaningful to them. 
they won't want to do that in two years, but it's just been such a joy of just taking time out, getting out of my own house, getting off my device and just playing with my kids. They're fun. You know what I like about that too, is it lets them be in the leadership role. Like let yeah. them lead you a little bit out they, of the chair yeah. and let's go play. They do. Will you play basketball with me? And I, they know I'm terrible at basketball, but I do it anyway. And yes. they think it's awesome. Yes. Yeah, every day. Can we go play? We call it mommy night football, right? I'm the quarter. I'm the all-time quarterback for the family. I love it. <laughs> that's great. And that that's just wonderful memories you're building together. That's I wonderful. I think so. I think so. You know, you never know in what ways you're screwing up your yeah. kids. But, you know, <laughs> there's yeah. there's some ways where you can feel like, you know what? I got that right. And I think yes, the food exactly. and the activity, you get that right. That goes a long way. I think anytime you're spending time with your kids, that's one of those things where I got that right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks, Julia. You too. Thanks to Dr. Julia Nordgren for being my guest on today's episode of the Namely Marley podcast. Another thanks to Uncommon Goods for sponsoring today's show. If you'd like more information about Uncommon Goods or anything related to today's show, please head over to namelymarley.com forward slash podcast. I hope you're loving the Namely Marley podcast. If so, there are a couple ways you can help support the show. You can head over to iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. You could also share this episode with your friends and family on social media, or you can share about it on your own blog or podcast. All of these things are really helpful and greatly appreciated. So until next time, may health and happiness come your way today. <music>